We're continuing through the book of 1 Peter today. That's what we do as a church. We go verse by verse um, <clears throat> through the scripture. The amazing part of that is I don't ever have to worry about what I'm going to preach from week to week. I know what the next verse is going to be. <clears throat> the downside is sometimes you come to difficult verses and you can't skip them. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to look at today, which is interesting because last week, Pastor Stewart preached on the government and he decided that he wanted to make a comment about me at the beginning of his <laughs> message <clears throat> that the reason that I was not here and because I wanted him to preach is because the verse was too difficult, <clears throat> which is interesting because the very next verse in the Bible the very next verse in the Bible is an easy little non-controversial verse that says, wives submit to their husbands. <clears throat> if he thinks that I skip preaching on government so that I can preach on wives submit to their husbands on Mother's Day, then he is crazy. But all kidding aside, I know he was joking and here's the reality, this is God's word and we're not afraid to preach anything in this book because it's God's word. <clears throat> and so let's jump in. But before I do, I wanna give you a couple things or address a couple things about this subject of wives submitting to their husbands. There have been, number one, there's been <clears throat> few scriptures in really all the Bible that I think have been more misunderstood and probably more abused than this one. Men throughout history have used this text to subjugate women, um, <clears throat> Or to, or to get women to do whatever a man says. <clears throat> it's also been misunderstood to, to argue by some that um, women are lesser than men or not equal to men. And when you really start digging down into the intended meaning of this verse, you realize it means none of those things at all. It never, never has and those things never were the intended meaning of this verse. <clears throat> Two, it's important to look at this text where wives are called to submit to their husbands in light of the overall treatment of women in the scripture, in the Bible, which over and over again does something radical for a first century culture. And that is to make it absolutely clear that women are equal to men in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> Galatians, don't turn there, just listen. Galatians 3, 27. <clears throat> it's a radical statement that, that Paul makes. He says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. <clears throat> There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And that statement right there is absolutely radical <laughs> for a first century document. Because he just said that women alongside men are heirs to an inheritance and to the promise, okay? In the same way that a firstborn son would be an heir to the inheritance of the kingdom of his father, the scripture just said that women are co-heirs with men in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And I don't know another document in all of ancient civilization that elevates women to equal status with men, but the word of God does over and over again. So keep that in mind as we look at this text. Three, it's absolutely critical. And when I say it's critical, it's critical that you don't look at this verse as a standalone verse. It was never meant to be. 
It's meant to be viewed through the lens of the context that Peter is talking about in chapter 2. And what is the context of chapter 2? Chapter 2 is the context, Peter's saying that part of being a believer is that you don't just submit yourself to God, but part of being a Christian is that you voluntarily submit to different institutions and things in your life because God has placed them in your life. For example, last week we talked about government. And the call of the Christian's life is to submit ourselves to governing authorities because God has placed those governing authorities in our lives that we're to do things like pay our taxes and follow you know, the speed limit, which we don't like, but we gotta do it and obey the laws of the land. And then in the next thing, which we don't really have time to get into today, but Peter addresses another controversial subject. He makes the statement, he says, servants be subject to your masters. Submit to your masters. When you look at that, it's really important to understand. It's critical that we understand that servants in that culture were very different than the historical American version of slavery. The historical American version of slavery is what's called man-stealing. Chattel slavery, man-stealing, the Bible talks about that as evil. And so resistance against that, not submitting to that, is a very biblical concept. But the biblical version of servants is radically different than man-stealing. And so the call in the servant's life is to submit to the master, to trust in the Lord through that. And so he talks about, you know, uh, submitting to government, servants submitting to masters. And then the very next thing he says is he begins to talk about how um, Jesus himself even submitted himself by trusting God to Roman authorities. And that's where we'll look at at 2 Peter 2.21. It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now guys, I want you to think about church just how much Jesus was submitting himself in the moment of the cross, how much he was submitting himself to God, how much he was submitting himself to the Roman authorities. He did it even to the point of death at any moment. At any moment during the duration of the cross, Jesus could have called down Gabriel and the archangel Michael and several thousand angels and gone straight running Old Testament on those that were persecuting him. But he didn't do it when he could. He could have. He was submitting himself. Jesus trusted God, voluntarily submitted himself to the Romans on the cross. Why did he do it? Why did he submit himself? Here's the answer, because God had a plan. God had a plan. God had a very specific plan that he wanted Jesus to fulfill through his submission. And what was that plan? That plan is for you and me to receive salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. Okay, now, I'm going to say something, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. And if you don't hear anything I say today, I really, I want you to hear this. That every single solitary time in the Bible where the scripture or rather when God says to a believer, I want you to submit to X, Y, and Z. 
every single solitary time, it is not to subjugate you. It's not to demean you. It's always, always because God has a greater God-glorifying plan that he wants you to fulfill through that submission. Scripture says Christians trust in God, submit to the government because God has a plan that he wants you to fulfill. Christian servants, trust God, submit to your masters. Why? Because God has a plan that he wants you to fulfill. Christ Jesus himself trusted God, submitted himself to the Roman authorities. Why? Because God has a plan that he was fulfilling through the cross. And it's in that context, it's in that context that God looks at his precious women and says, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to submit yourself to your earthly husbands because God's saying, I've got a plan. I've got a greater God-glorifying plan that I need you to fulfill. And so this call on the women of God to submit to their husbands is in no way, it's in no shape, form, or fashion some sort of backwards, culturally outdated, evil attempt to subjugate women like the culture says it is. But when you look at it in the context, God's saying, women, I am asking you to do this for something that's more important than your wildest imagination. And we'll see what that is in just a second. So before we jump into any kind of context of like what it looks like for women to submit to their husbands, let's go back and look at this greater God-glorifying plan that women are being called to fulfill through this act of submission. Go back to verse 23. Verse Peter 2, 23. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered... He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so Peter reminds us, hey, even Jesus himself, the son of God, submitted himself to the Romans to fulfill this greater plan by God. Now, in the very next verse, Peter tells us what the plan was, lays it out for us. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. And so Peter is talking about submission because God has a greater plan. And then he points us to the ultimate picture of submission, which is Jesus himself. Even Jesus submitted himself to this greater God-glorifying plan of you and I being able to be saved through his blood. Now I want you to listen to me. Everybody look at me. In the very next verse. The very next words out of Peter's mouth are 1 Peter 3.1. And here it is. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that word likewise right there shows us that this is not an isolated verse meant to subjugate women. Because the word likewise literally means in the very same way, okay? And so Peter is is speaking directly to the women of God. And he says, likewise, in the very same way that Jesus Christ himself submitted to the Roman authorities to fulfill this greater God-glorifying plan, likewise, in the same way, wives, I'm asking you to submit to your husband to fulfill this greater God-glorifying plan. 
Okay? Now, here's the question. What is, again, this greater God-glorifying plan that God is asking his women, his daughters, to fulfill by submitting to their husbands? Well, there's two things today. We're going to go to two quick things. We'll be done. Number one, submitting to their husbands is a picture to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first part of the plan God is, is fulfilling through women's submission of their husbands. Submitting their husbands is a picture to the world of the gospel of Christ. And here's the second thing he's doing, second part of the plan. Submitting to their husbands leads non-believing husbands to the gospel of Christ. Okay, so let's look at number one together. Submitting their husbands is a picture of the world of the gospel of Christ. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five real quick. Go to Ephesians chapter five. Paul is talking about this very thing. He's talking about marriage. He makes the same statement about submission. But then he's going to point and show us that this submitting is not just something meant to subjugate women, but it's actually a picture of something that's critical. So Ephesians 5, 22. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <clears throat> so you do it as to the Lord. You do it for the Lord. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. Then he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, now, Paul's talking about marriage. And he starts off by talking about the different roles that men and women play in marriage. He talks to the men. We're going to look at it next week. He says, man, I want you to love your wives in the way that Christ Jesus loved the church. And then, he, and then he looks at the women and he says, um, he says, women, I want you wives, I want you to submit to your husbands in the way that the church submits to Jesus, okay? And then in verse 31, go ahead and look at it, he quotes Genesis 3, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible when one of the first things God ever says about marriage, Paul quotes it, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 31. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay? And then the very next verse, Paul is going to drop a theological nuclear bomb on us because he's going to tell us exactly why God created marriage. In verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound. What mystery is profound, Paul? The mystery of a man leaving his father and mother clinging to his wife, and the two of them becoming one flesh. <clears throat> he's saying that mystery is profound, and in the next statement, he's going to tell us what that thing, two people becoming one, man and woman becoming one flesh, what it's meant to portray. Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What refers to Christ and the church, Paul? He says marriage does. So what Paul just said is this whole marital dynamic where the husband loves his wife, 
like Christ loved the church. And the wife submits to her husband like the church submits to Christ. He's saying, everybody look at me. He's saying that is meant to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. He's saying when you live that out, when you fulfill these two callings in your life, the husband loving his wife the way Christ of the church, the wife submitting to her husband the way the church submits to Jesus, that is a living, breathing picture to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for his bride, the church. And that's why this verse makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to a lost world. I was reading on Twitter yesterday. Liberal Christians just bashing this verse, saying that the Bible teaches subjugation of women, and it's just simply not true. They're not studying their Bible. Because when, if, you, if you go and you ask the world, what is the purpose of marriage? Like, why do you get married? They're going to say things like, well, people get married because they want to be happy. Or if you ask the world what the purpose of marriage is, the primary purpose of marriage, they'll say, thing like, say something like marriage is, um, is a couple's ultimate expression of love towards one another. But what the scripture just said is that the primary purpose of marriage is not your happiness. The primary purpose of your marriage is not this ultimate display of love for one another. But the primary purpose of your marriage is to be a picture of the gospel to a lost world. And listen, guys, check this out. I don't care what the world says the primary purpose of marriage is. They didn't create marriage. God did. God thought it up. God created it. God instituted it. He made it happen. And the scripture says that the reason God created this thing called marriage is for a man and a woman to come together, fall in love, walk to the altar, and enter into a covenant between themselves and Almighty God, and from that moment walk out the door and for the rest of their lives through their marriage be a tangible, living, breathing picture to a lost world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, yeah. That is God's greater plan that he's asking you to fulfill through this. It's a picture of the gospel. Now, again, real quick, like what does this look like? How, how does it portray the gospel? Just real fast. Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. We get married, we go out the door. I'm supposed to love Jennifer in the way that Christ loved the church. That means that in the same way that Jesus loves and leads and serves and protects and lays down his life for his bride, the church, that I'm supposed to love and lead and serve and protect and lay down my life for my wife and my family. Paul says, okay, that's what men are doing. Women, in the same way that the church submits to the leadership and they follow Jesus, that wives are doing the same thing, that you're to submit to the leadership and follow the leadership of your husband. And so when the two of you live that out on a daily basis, the world can look at that and go, that's weird, but it's beautiful, and it points them to the Lord. And so I'm going to say this one last time. The call of Almighty God to women to submit to the leadership of their husband is in no shape, form, or fashion an attempt to subjugate women that is a lie from the pit of hell. But it's a specific call 
from Almighty God to his beloved daughters to be a witness to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why they should never, women should never look at this as a drudgery. But it's a beautiful opportunity for them to honor not just their husbands, but their Lord and Savior who gave their life for them, submitting at the same time. Okay, so let's talk for a second about like, what does this look like? Here's the fun part. What does this look like for women to actually live this out and do this? Okay, the best way I've ever heard this explained um, is this. To submit to your husband means that you follow your husband as he follows Christ. That you follow your husband as he follows Christ. This doesn't mean that women don't have unique callings on their life. This doesn't mean that women are not to fulfill their unique giftings that the Lord gave them at their their salvation. But it simply means that one of the primary callings that God has placed on the life of married women is to follow their husbands as he follows Christ to be a picture of the world, picture of the gospel to the world. Okay. Now here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what submitting to your husband doesn't mean. One, it doesn't mean that you have to do something if what your husband is asking you to do is contrary to the scripture. If your husband is asking you to sin, you do not do it because your primary calling is to submit to Jesus. That's your primary calling. Secondarily, you submit to your husband. If he's asking you to do something that contradicts what Christ is calling you to do, then you do not do it. Two, this doesn't mean that whatever he says, you just go do it. That's not what that means, okay? If he's sitting in his recliner watching the football game and he looks over at you and says, hey, give me a glass of tea, then you go get him a glass of tea and then you pour it in his lap in the name of Jesus, all right? I'm kidding, don't do that. Um, When I first got married to to Jennifer, I mean, we were young. I think I was 22. And I knew just enough Bible at 22 to be dangerous. And I would want her to do something and and she would disagree with me or something. And I'd I'd say like, woman, the Bible tells you that you're supposed to submit to your husband. So do it. And she would look back at me without even blinking and say, well, if you start loving me like Christ loved the church, then I might do it, right? (laughs) And... uh, as y'all are clapping women, I want you to know that neither of those is biblical. Um, <laughs> that brings, you, brings us to an important point, men. Let me talk to you for a second. We're going to dig deeper into this next week. But there's a lot of men th- that expect wives to submit to their husbands in the way the church submits to Christ. But they aren't willing to love their wives in the way that Christ loved the church. In order for your wife to be in an environment where this is a joy for her to live this out, you got to live out your calling, right? And if you're, if you're being an angry, demeaning jerk, this isn't going to be easy for your wife to live out. But if you are loving your wife in the way that Christ loved the church, the overwhelming majority of godly women in this world, it's going to be a joy for her to live this out. So let me give you, um, I'll give you one example of where I think that Jennifer did this really well. And it was a a beautiful picture of the gospel uh, to me and to the world. When I was 27, I got a call. Um, It's a long story, but I got offered the opportunity to 
plant a church in Austin, Texas. And the interesting thing about it is that I'd been praying for close to three years. Like, God, I'm not going to plant a church unless you want me to do it. And so I'm not going to do it until you make it crystal clear. And so I was seeking the Lord and seeking his wisdom, seeking his direction. Well, long, cool story, but it became crystal clear that I was going to be given the opportunity to plant a church in Austin, Texas. And on the way home from when I found out that that was going to happen, I called Jennifer and I said, baby, start praying because the Lord has answered my prayer and he's made it crystal clear that I'm supposed to plant a church. We're supposed to plant a church in Austin, Texas. And what she said to me, I'll never forget. She said, Matt, I don't have to pray about it because I know you already have. And if Jesus is calling you to this, I'm in. She did it. She left her home. She left a high paying job, two little babies in tow, um, came to Austin with me. Um, which is from the devil. And it's, <laughs> I made $18,000 my first two years. We were poor as we could possibly be. We lived in this really ratty apartment. Did she do that because she loved me? Yes. But the real reason that she did it, and she'll tell you this, is because she loves Jesus. And it was an honor in her life to follow me because she knew that I was following Jesus. I'm so thankful that she did. I mean, God use that church in profound ways that never would have happened had she not been willing to live this out and make this really tough decision. And make no mistake, I've seen so many young men over the years have to say no to the call of God on their lives because they were married to women that for selfish reasons absolutely refused to follow their husbands as their husbands, follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, I want you to hear me clearly, I'm not saying that men aren't to wife their, uh, ask their wives' opinion. It's critical that you do that. I'm not saying that you don't seek your wife's wisdom. That's one of the primary reasons she put that woman in your life. It's because she's smarter than you, right? <laughs> you ask her opinion, you seek her wisdom. And I'm not saying that at times you don't submit what God, not what God, but what, what, what you feel is best to do because it may not be best for your wife. Sometimes loving your wife like Christ loved the church means that you say no to something you might think is best for you. But what I am saying is far too often what I've seen is for really selfish reasons, I've seen it a bunch, for really selfish reasons instead of the wife following her husband as he followed Christ, the husband was forced to follow his wife as she followed her selfish desires. And so wives, submitting to your husband means that you follow him as he follows Jesus so that you can be a picture to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, real quickly here, I want to speak to unmarried women. Let's, let's read the text again. If, if you're not married, I want you to read this. Luke, or excuse me, 1 Peter 3, 1. Watch what it says. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Y'all catch what it's saying there? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's important to remember, women, that this is not a blanket call for all women to submit to all men. God, again, is using the specific role of a wife inside the context and covenant of marriage to be a picture to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as a woman, really single uh, or married, you're 100% not called to submit to all men. Okay, single women, you're not called to submit to your boyfriend. 
I think you honor him because you're a Christian. But that dude is not your husband. You do not have to submit to him. The scripture places a call on all believers to submit to pastors and elders in the church. That's in the scripture. Um, we're called to honor our fathers. But you do not submit to a man until he puts a ring on your finger. And as a matter of fact, I think that's one of the, let me just speak to single women here. <clears throat> I think that's one of the number one things that you're looking for in a man that you want to marry. As, as you look at this guy, you ask yourself the question, is this the kind of man that I will joyfully fulfill this role in my life for? It doesn't matter if he's got a cool car and, and he smells good and he looks like Burt Reynolds, man. Like, I don't care. If he's not, I did that for the older generation, for <laughs> younger generation, the Noah dude from the notebook, all right? So like, if he, can, he can be awesome and have all that stuff, but if you look at him, you're like, man, the guy's an idiot. I don't think I wanna submit to him. You don't marry him. It's just that simple, okay? So in answering the question, what is this God, this greater God-glorifying plan that God is asking women to fulfill by submitting to their husbands, number one? Submitting their husbands is a picture to the world of the gospel of Christ. Now, here's the last thing. We'll do it real quickly. Number two, submitting to their husbands leads non-believing husbands to the gospel of Christ. That's the second thing. Submitting to their husbands leads non-believing husbands to the gospel of Christ. Okay, last thing here. If you're listening to this, you're like, Matt, what if I'm married to a non-believer? I'm married to a non-believer or I'm married to a man that he's a believer but he's not following Jesus. He's being disobedient to the word of God. What does this look like? Like, how do I do this? Do I still need to do this? Again, you never submit to him and he's asking you to do something contrary to the word of God. But let's look again at what Peter says about women submitting to their husbands, even non-believing ones. Check this out, 1 Peter 3, 1. Peter says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. And then he says, so that... Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so Peter is saying, guys, I want you to know something. Here's the other part of this greater God glorifying plan. Peter's saying women that are married to non-believers are men that are disobedient to the word. He's saying there is power when you do this. That there is an ability that you have when you honor him like Christ or like, rather like the church honors Jesus, when you follow him the way the church follows Jesus, that there is a power that you have to win the heart of that man to the Lord, not by beating him over the head with a Bible, but without a word as he sees your conduct. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. One of the most beautiful pictures, amazing pictures of this I've ever seen is in my own family with my father. Um, my dad, I, I believe he's 76. He's still alive. And um, they were married for 37 years before my mom passed away in 2002. And he will tell you, I'm not saying anything that he won't tell you. He would say that um, he was not a believer. Everybody thought he was. He was a deacon in the church. But he would tell you deep down inside he was not following Jesus, really never had any intention to. I think he would stand up here and be the first to tell you that he was disobedient to the word. And my mom 
was obviously not perfect in their marriage. But our, she lived long enough and I got to know her well enough in my, as I grew up to know that through their entire marriage, she never used his disobedience as a license to belittle him or demean him or disrespect him. And even though really he would tell you he did not deserve it, she knew this verse. And my mother loved Jesus Christ. She loved him. And so she loved my father. She honored my father. And she submitted to his leadership. And she did it over and over and over again, even though he didn't deserve it. And after 37 years of marriage, she suddenly passed away, went home to be with Jesus. And it rocked his world. And what he would tell you if he was giving you his testimony today is that when she passed away later on, shortly after, he had an absolute moment of clarity about the way that she lived her life, even in the context of him not following Jesus. And it was through that that he gave his heart to the Lord and he got saved. And that this guy today is just he is a powerful powerful weapon in the hands of the Lord. He's an incredible godly man, absolute warrior for Christ. I get convicted when I get around him because everywhere we go, he's just witnessing to people. We'll be walking out of the Walmart parking lot. And he says, hold on, son. Have you ever met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I'm like, dad, you know, and I'm like, okay, come on, let's go witness to the guy. He's just absolutely amazing. And if you ask him why, it'll be the witness of my mother living this out while she was alive. I think there are very few things in all the world that are more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than a woman that lives us out. I think there are very few things in all the world that are more precious in the sight of God than a woman that lives us out. And I'm done, but I want to say one more thing. None of this makes any sense if you don't believe the gospel. Y'all with me? Anybody submitting to anyone or anything is the dumbest thing in the world unless you believe the gospel. And if you believe the gospel, when it hits you that Jesus submitted himself to show the love of God to the world, and that's the calling for you to submit yourself to show the love of God to the world, then all of a sudden it makes all the sense in the world and everything changes. Next week, we're going to deal with men. But here's the reality for both men and women. As there comes a point in the life of every believer where you got to ask yourself the question and make the really hard choice. Am I going to please myself or am I going to please the Lord? Am I going to please the culture or am I going to please the Lord? And I pray that we get to a place here at this church and no matter what this book says, we make the decision that we're going to live in such a way that pleases the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for my mother that I miss terribly. I wish that she could have seen my children grown up. I know she would have adored them. I thank you for the witness in her life. I thank you for my father who loves you today in many ways because of her. Lord, I pray for the wives in this place that are married to men that are disobedient to the word. I pray you would give them strength. Give them strength to love those men well, even though they don't deserve it. Father, I pray for the men that we would lay down our lives the way that Christ laid down his life for the church so that we can love our wives the way that Christ loved the church.
Lord Jesus, we love you. If there's anyone in the world that's worthy of this, it's you. I pray that Sagemont would be a beautiful picture of the gospel. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.